Welcome to the Abra Money 3.0 show, your guide to the future of all things money. One of the biggest obstacles for the mass adoption of cryptocurrency is the ease of actually getting it. In this episode, Abra CEO and founder Bill Barheit sits down with CEO and founder of Simplex, Nimrod Lahavi, to discuss the complexities of turning fiat into crypto and how Simplex is helping to solve this problem by allowing people to purchase crypto with a credit card. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. The information presented in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any of the financial assets discussed. This report should not be construed as advice designed to meet the particular investment needs of any investor. Any opinions expressed herein are subject to change. Neither Abra nor any of the participants in this podcast make any representation as to the suitability or appropriateness of the financial assets for individual investors. Investors must make their own determination, either alone or in consultation with their financial advisors, as to the suitability or appropriateness of such investments. So with me today, I have Nimrod, CEO and founder of Simplex. So disclosure, uh, Simplex is uh, a partner of Abra uh, who helps us uh, in the area of uh, card processing for customers who are purchasing Bitcoin and Ether through MasterCard and, and Visa. And we're going to get into all of that. Uh, it's been an awesome uh, week for Bitcoin. We've seen a price explosion. We saw the uh, Facebook slash uh, Libra announcements where Facebook is now getting into the, the crypto space. And of course, purchase volume and transaction volume across the entire crypto sphere is reaching uh, record highs again. So we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, everybody's smiling this week. Yeah, exactly. So why don't we start off, uh, Nimrod, just give us an overview of what Simplex does. And and also, I would love to hear about your personal background and how you got into Bitcoin. So in my background, I was a developer. And later on, I had a a software company uh, providing outdoor services for about 15 years or so. And then in late 2012, I read the Bitcoin white paper and was, uh, I don't know, moved by it. It seems like almost like code poetry, elegant uh, solution. I really loved it, really wanted to do something in this world. Uh, Usually the first move is to try and buy some, right? But it was crazy hard to buy some. It was almost impossible. The only way that I found was to actually wire money to someone whom I don't know and yep. hope for the Bitcoin to arrive. And, you know, being an Israeli, I didn't really think it was a good idea. And it seemed ludicrous that you can't make a purchase with a credit card because after all, it's, you know, it's a digital good, you know, at best. At the time, it was considered the holy grail. Nobody was uh, doing it at all. Uh, so I started working on it, managed to buy some, just meeting face to face, a couple of guys, started working on it in 2013. Uh, snatched my two co-founders out of PayPal and we formed the company together early uh, 2014. We launched the service initially in December 14 and up ever since. Uh, and how many countries do you operate in today? Almost anywhere. Yep. Except the, the FATF restricted uh, countries, uh, we operate almost everywhere. We're working with uh, most of the biggest names uh, in the industry. I usually say, you know, except from Coinbase, usually anywhere where you can make a purchase with a credit card, it's uh, through Simplex. So when, when people think of crypto or Bitcoin and credit cards, I'm, I'm guessing the first thing that most people think of is fraud, right? Or one of the first things yeah. people think of is fraud. <laughs> most likely. I, I, I'm, I'm 
guessing that this is a, a, a huge part of your day is yeah. dealing with the trials and tribulations of credit card fraud. Absolutely. Right. You can buy Bitcoin and and in theory transfer it anywhere in the world. Yep. So if it's a fraudulent transaction, the money's gone before you might even know about it. Yeah, exactly. So talk about this. How do you deal with this at, at a global scale? So first of all, I never sleep. <laughs> well, OK. So so kind of organizing the issue, the problem here is that let's say I stole your credit card and I make a purchase of Bitcoin and in some exchange, the exchange is sending me the Bitcoin and then you find out, you call Visa or MasterCard, say, you know, telling them it wasn't you and you get the money back and the guy who's got stuck without the funds is the exchange because they already send the Bitcoin. So that's, that's, the, right. that's the core issue. And I, I think that's the, the reason it was never implemented before, uh, before Simplex started doing it. I think the, the core ability of Simplex is indeed this fraud mitigation. My two co-founders worked in PayPal in the high-risk transaction monitoring whatever department in Israel. Mm -hmm. So their entire career is revolving around how to manage fraud properly. Now, what, what PayPal will often do with a high-risk transaction is just not let you access the money for some time frame. Yeah. You don't do that. Nope. So what's the difference? How are you able to do that with what's probably a higher risk transaction yeah. than what they're dealing with, where they just let freeze the money for sometimes for 30 days, which drives everybody insane? Yeah, and make it a bad service. I mean, it's so before we started working, before we launched the service, we were contemplating how exactly should we do it. But it became clearer and clearer that the delays should be zero. The whole point of you know, working in crypto is the fact that you have a superior financial system, not just as bad a financial system. And, you know, this, this gap that we bridge is the value that Simplex brings. I, I think that PayPal in general are very risk averse. They have a lot of risk that they would rather not handle. They have a lot to lose, so they, they just step away from the risk. The average transactions there is much lower and they would just uh, remove the, the, the seller protection feature from more and more verticals, more and more merchants, whereas we prefer to take it because that's the value we bring. We collect something like almost a thousand attributes per transaction in real time and manage everything around that. So let's, let's, let's dig into that. So walk us through what happens when you actually say, okay, I want to I buy Bitcoin with a credit card and, and I give my number and, and is it just an approval? I mean, walk us through all the steps that basically are going on behind the scenes. Because I think people are genuinely confused as to you know, why, why there's so much fraud in this space and, and, and how it is that you're able to deal with this. So the reason that there is so much fraud or, or why is cryptocurrency the, the highest fraud risk vertical is because it's, first of all, it's 24-7, 365. It's global, genuinely global. There's no shipping address. Everything makes sense. Like there, there's this uh, old story about transactions with PayPal that, you know, if you see an, a card that was issued in the States, traded in uh, making a purchase in Nigeria, let's say, in non-office hours, it's most likely a stolen card. Mm -hmm. But what if it's an American on a business trip in his company branch in Nigeria? And it's, it's kind of, it's a very simple way to look at the problem. I mean, there are so many arguments that are being chugged into the AI system that we've developed. None of them on its own can say if it's a fraudulent transaction or not. It's kind of everything together. But, you know, let's say if it's a, the IP address doesn't match the, the, the billing address. 
it's a flag. If your email is too new, let's say you, you created the email yesterday, it's a flag. Uh, if you have different languages installed on the browser than the language that you're using right now or the billing address on the card, it's a flag. There are a bunch of, of wow. things. Yeah, wow. it's, it's crazy deep. Now, in the card ecosystem, it's really complex, right? The average consumer has no idea how many people are actually touching a card transaction, right? You have the consumer, you have the issuing bank, which is the bank that actually gave you the card, you have the merchant, uh, you have acquiring the bank. acquiring bank that actually acts on behalf of the merchant, you have the network mm -hmm. uh, that routes transactions between the acquiring bank and the issuer. In these transactions, you're the merchant. Is no, that, we're or, or actually the, the payment service provider. Payment service it's, it, yeah, it's okay. slightly different in the US than it is in most of the rest of the world. Okay. Uh, in the US, it's usually gateways right, uh, right, right. working gateways, with the yeah. merchants. Yeah. And in rest of the world, except from Korea, which I know is very similar to the, the US model, everywhere else, it's the acquiring banks working with the payment service providers, working with the merchants. Um, and we're the, the payment service provider. So yep. we're licensed as a financial institution in Europe. Hence, we're able to provide these services globally through that license. And yeah, it's a crazy scheme. So we're yep. working with five or six acquiring banks. So you always have redundancies. So um, as, as you can imagine, you know, even with your experience in the payment world, acquiring banks are not the most stable thing. Usually, right. if, if, if they think that you're handling too much risk, they'll just, you know, tell you, don't come next day. Right. Uh, it's as simple as that. They'll just wow. shut you down. Wow. And so one of the things that we hear a lot about is, is that, oh, well, you know, it's not, it doesn't work for me because I want to make a large purchase or, you know, um, the limits aren't good enough or uh, this bank is blocking the transactions. I mean, is it, is it a moving target? Constantly. Or yeah, constantly. And I was a tank commander, so I know it. <laughs> I know how to shoot a moving target, but still, it's <laughs> okay. Banks keep changing, acquiring keep changing. They keep changing legislation. They keep changing regulation. They keep changing enforcement. Yeah, we're trying to be as flexible as possible. So we have pretty high limits. We have like a 20k a day, 50k a month mm -hmm. per user. We are, uh, as I mentioned, I think earlier, we're, we're adding the, the sell side, the flip side, so you'll be able to sell crypto and take money to the uh, creator debit card, card which you hold, uh, the regular one. You don't need to issue a new one just for that. Yep. And, you know, someone asked me, like, why are we creating the company that will annihilate the, the need for such a company in, in 10 years? And so we have quite a few products that we're going to launch in the next year, two, three, uh, that will not only facilitate the transition from traditional finance to more, more of the crypto world finance, but also support the activity there. So if you were to go five years out, what is your ultimate vision then for, for Simplex? I mean, if, if you're right, then there should be way fewer people doing credit card purchases in I, don't future, think because in five, I don't think in five okay. years. So, so in you 20... think it'll take longer? Way longer. I yeah. think yeah. When, I, when I started my way in the crypto world in 2012, 2013, I was certain it's going to take five to 10 years until like mainstream adoption. Yeah. How naive was I? So five years passed, six years passed. Um, I think it's going to take 10 to 15 years yeah. until there's proper adoption. Not even like everybody has it. So I think we're, you know, we're just in the beginning of the race. Because if yeah. you look at regulation, basically nothing changed. Sure. Bank attitude, nothing changed. Yeah, I have this theory that in general terms, and I think Bitcoin is another 
just example of this, we tend to overestimate the adoption of technology in the short term and then underestimate technology adoption in the long term. And, you know, I think I remember in the mid-90s, people said, hey, I have no need for the Internet, right? And, and, and now it's in everything. Yeah. I don't even think about it, right? So interesting. So, so this other theme that I wanted to touch on is this idea of the stablecoin, right? So a lot of people use stablecoin as on-ramps and off-ramps into crypto. Yep. And so, and of course, you know, Facebook's announcement last mm -hmm. week was, was clearly a form of, of stablecoin. And, and how are most people, like if you use Tether, which is the most popular stablecoin by far, how are most people getting the Tether and how does that relate to your world? So usually they, they still, I'm guessing that most of them are either large institutions or, uh, you know, crypto heads that just had tons of crypto and they wanted to, you know, step out of the volatility and convert it. I think that over time, the next product that we're going to launch in, I'd say like six to eight months is uh, a Simplex account, which will enable all the integrations that we have, all the users there will be able to hold their fiat with the Simplex. Simplex being a non-crypto company, not touching crypto at any point, highly licensed, completely regulated, touching only fiat. So basically any user working with any of the partners that we have uh, who wants to handle his fiat on the platform will be able to do that. Very interesting. So basically anyone with Abra, for example, wouldn't, Abra wouldn't need to be regulated in the, in the old-fashioned world. You wouldn't need an MSB license. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't need an EMI license in Europe but your users through the integration with Simplex will be able to hold a fiat account. So I think that stable coins are kind of an, an anomaly. I don't think they're really required. I think they'll be gone. Um, maybe not, Simplex won't be the biggest driver to do that, but I think it's something that you know should and will be sorted out over time. So that's interesting comment. So you think that long-term, we shouldn't have a need for a stable coin model, exactly. yet the, the, the largest player in online media just announced probably the most the biggest project related to stablecoins. So, so much to say about okay, so, so, so that'll be like so let's two get hours no, let's get into it. But let's <laughs> what is your take on the Libra announcement and how it affects our world? So I think we've noticed the effect. It, you know, it took us from seven to eleven like in <laughs> three days or something. So you know, as Simplex is serving mostly retail users who are making purchases with credit cards, it's usually a, a trailing market. And it's the, the, the biggest effect is not the, the Bitcoin exchange rate, as many people think, but actually news. Mm -hmm. So more news, more users, more new users are making purchases. And I, I take huge, enormous pride in the fact that we're introducing new people into crypto, you know, by millions of dollars per day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're... we're bringing the revolution. And I think that Facebook, first of all, I think that to some extent it was a reaction to the fact that uh, Telegram uh, are going to launch before the end of the year, right? The, the terms of their ICO, that they have to launch the platform. Where they have to return the money, actually. Exactly. Right? So yeah. they have to launch by, I think, October or November. Wow. And, and, and in the meantime, nobody really knows what they've created or if it's going to work or... No comment. <laughs> okay. but, but I think that that was one of the drivers for Facebook to start actually pushing things forward. Right. Before time, before they're organized, before they got the green light from the regulators. I mean, look at the effect that, that like three days after the announcement, U.S. regulators, French regulators, German regulators told them like over my dead body. By so actually, I have a slightly different take on that because if you actually look at who was doing the over my dead body comments, it wasn't actually the regulators. It was mostly legislators. 
So I've spoken to the team quite a bit at, at Facebook, and, and it seems that what they've done is they were very clever in making the rounds globally and talking to the regulators. And in theory, the reason the regulators exist is, is because they take legislative laws and whatnot and turn them into policy. And in theory, the legislators should then have no part in the process, yeah, right? Now, that was completely wrong. And I think that's where they underestimated the reaction. I think they, I think they understood the public backlash given all things privacy and, and, and the fact that nobody trusts Facebook right now. Yep. But the reality is that's not the average consumer. The average consumer actually doesn't care when it comes to privacy it's, it's, and all that stuff. You know, sheeple. Right. They don't care about anything. Exactly, right? But the legislators are, are, are in a different, you know, kind of frame of reference or state of mind right now. And I think that that's where... I don't know that they... I, I, maybe I'll backtrack a little. I don't know that they necessarily underestimated the reaction. I think they realized that they didn't want to deal with that reaction when the product was ready, right? And that it made no sense for them to release a product on day one and be dealing with presenting to Congress on day three. Yeah. And if it's going to take us seven, eight months for this like uh, storm to blow over, let's deal with the storm now, get it out of the way, because the public's not going to care anyway long term. I, I think that, you know, if you look at Europe at least, I think that the European legislator have demonstrated they don't mind, you know, putting their foot down on the large corporations. Like, look at the, the right to be forgotten and Google. Right. They shoved it down their throat. Absolutely. And they would do the same. And and the, the but Facebook, Google is still operating though. They, they didn't shut yeah, Google down. No, no, no. Of course, you know, they Facebook is not going to be shut down. They just couldn't operate with Libra in Europe. So I, I think it's a combination of a few issues. I think that you know, the legislators and regulators would have loved to kill Bitcoin because of the the huge threat on governance and issuing currencies. And if Facebook decides to issue their own currency, you can become a citizen of Facebook. You can just eliminate all your ties with with the local and what about the idea that that it's a swiss association with dozens of members where they're one vote yeah i don't buy that <laughs> okay i mean buy it in the sense of you yeah, don't, I don't believe that's what they've done because it does no, appear no. that's what they've done yeah but but still i mean first of all look at the other uh, parties there it's mm -hmm. not exactly the companies that you would you know trust the most with your information I would say that there's probably a lot of consumers that, that would not only agree with that, but also disagree with that. Because if you think about, I mean, your processor for Visa and MasterCard, they're two of the founding members. Of course. Right? So PayPal, right? I mean, these are companies that process trillions of dollars a year in transactions. Yeah. So all were someone's hacked. trusting them. All were, all, I mean, it's not a matter of trust. I mean, you have a bank account. You trust mm -hmm. the bank? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I don't. I have I, a bank I, account and I don't I don't trust, trust the bank, the bank in, in the sense that when the shit hits the fan, when things go south... Are they going to be there for me? No, because no, when there's a run of banks, by definition, fractional reserve system breaks down. Yeah. I trust the bank when the system is not breaking down, but I don't leave all my money in one bank for that reason, right? And I don't think that people with any reasonable amount of money should either. No, it, again, I, I think it's you know it's a, it's a very good point on, on the Facebook side. Facebook also has demonstrated in the past that they cannot be trusted with your personal information. So now you're going to trust you know, your, your financial information with them? Sure. Or decide that mentally it doesn't matter to me, which I think is where most consumers are. Most consumers actually say, do I trust Facebook? No, Probably but not. still. But does it really matter? Yeah. Probably not. You know, most people, and, you and, ask them what's their password and they'll tell you. And, and we deal with this at Abra. <laughs> exactly. We deal with this at Abra all the time. People realize that, you know, privacy and trust matters after they've been hacked. 
right? We get so many new users and in Abra. And even then, not enough to do actually something about it. Well, well and crypto is different, right? Because if you had an account on, on, on Coinbase that's been hacked via yeah. a SIM jacking or whatever, then you come to Abra and say, well, why didn't I know about this in the first place? And the answer is, well, unfortunately, you really weren't paying attention that, that to the difference the price between of education. exactly the price of education between a custodial and a non-custodial system. And unfortunately, most people don't care about that difference until they've been hacked. Interesting. So, okay, so let's put our personal feelings aside. I mean, <laughs> what what are the likely benefits of having this other stablecoin? I mean, you mentioned that the halo effect around people getting into Bitcoin, which is great, but. You know, I don't think that's going to be the case for, a year from for, now. So, what's the what's the potential benefit of having of Facebook? Yeah, I think Libra it's, it's amazing. I think it could be amazing. You know, just first of all, just introducing almost three billion people to the concept of cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. just shaking down the banking system. You know, if if you uh, if you look at cryptocurrencies and you know blockchain technology, as much as I dislike the term, if banks will start operating on such an infrastructure. It will be similar to the revolution of uh, telephony companies working on, uh, you know, start working on voice over IP. They still charged you for a decade like they weren't, but they already were. That's how they became such huge companies. But if you can, if this move will just push the banks and, you know, if you can, your price of managing your own financial affairs will drop by 100x, that's, you know, that's uh, amazing. Right. If you can bank the unbanked, yeah, a lot of a lot of the things you know that I think most people who entered the, the crypto ecosystem in 2012, 2013 were so eager about is that less of you know making a quick buck via an ICO, but more of changing the financial ecosystem. Right. Interesting. I think it's going to be a fascinating year. I think actually I think it's going to be a fascinating couple of years, partially because I think the Libra announcement is really premature from a technology perspective. And I think it's actually going to be more like late next year before this is yeah. even released. I think they are underestimating how long it's going to take to get this out the door, at least publicly anyway. We'll see. I, I think it's fascinating. And they've got over 100 people working on it, they've said now, which is yeah. which is There's astounding. a pretty I big mean, Israeli team. more than our two companies combined, right? We're, so, we're actually 100 people. So. Okay, so <laughs> and we're about 50, so we're, we're, we're getting there. So let's come back to Bitcoin. One of the things we think a lot about about Abra is, is, is Bitcoin's ability to scale, to deal with hundreds of millions and eventually billions of, of, of consumers. When you purchase a Bitcoin with a credit card at Simplex, I mean, it's, it's basically a, it's an on-chain transaction. In order to get the Bitcoin to the consumer, yep. it has to be, mm -hmm. right? And so, I mean, between us, we're doing a, a non-trivial percentage of on-chain transactions now, I, I, I would assume. Yep. How do you think about that going forward? And, and, and what are the implications for your ability to, to scale a business? So I, I think that I believe in the future of a multi-currency ecosystem. And I think that Bitcoin will remain kind of a gold standard. So large organizations, banks, large transactions will go through it. So I don't think there's an actual scalability issue with Bitcoin. I think you'll have other currencies for other activities, whether it's you know Ether, EOS, or whatever your, your flavor is. So I really don't think there's an issue with, uh, with Bitcoin scalability. And you know, right now we're offering purchases of, I think, 10 currencies directly, yeah. but it'll grow to hundreds in, in a couple of months. But if you had 50 million people who wanted to buy $50 worth of Bitcoin, that would be a problem for you, right? I mean, you would not, I mean, you'd probably have to settle once a day and match as opposed to <laughs> that, in real that, time, right? That could be the case. I, I hope we'll get to that problem, you know, right sure. now it's, uh, sure. it's less um, of an issue. <laughs> yeah. Do you think lightning will work? I don't know. 
I don't have enough information about that rather than other solutions. Again, I don't, I don't really look at Bitcoin scalability as an issue, so I'm less interested in the solutions that you, you know, will enable you yeah. to make a coffee purchase with Bitcoin. I just don't think it, like you don't bring your oil barrel or yeah. your, I don't know, your ounce of gold to the mall. Okay, fair enough. Where do you, in, in that light, where do you see most of the volume that's not Bitcoin? I, obviously, I assume Bitcoin is the, yeah, the biggest. Yeah, Bitcoin is by far the biggest. Right, Ether, Ripple, those are the, the next runner-ups. Got you. You mentioned that you support uh, BNB yep. now, which is yep. uh, Binance's uh, yep. token, Binance and you've token. seen a lot yep. of growth yep. in, lot. In, in BNB. That's really interesting. And, and is that global? And do you know if it's traders, or do you think it's just people you know, speculating? I think or? We've run a, a survey within our uh, client base, and the large, most of them, see themselves as traders. Yeah. yeah. Which is interesting, because you know, the, the average amount is less than $1,000. Interesting. So let's do the math on this, right? So the average purchase price for, I know we're running uh, right now, 4% is the, is the fee effectively to use uh, Simplex to get uh, Bitcoin and Ether. Obviously, you know, people are doing mental math, right? I mean, there's kind of two schools of thought here. One, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something with the Bitcoin, either I'm going to a gambling website or buying digital goods or you know, something where I don't mentally perceive that the 4% matters or I'm, I'm, I'm mentally in this model where I'm assuming that Bitcoin is going to go up by so much that yeah. that 4% doesn't matter. 10% I mean, a day is good. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, although I'm not so sure we, can, we should assume that that's going to be the, the modus operandi as it has been the last few days, but... But, um, you know, we're recording this in a, in a, in a week where I think we, Bitcoin yeah. was up, what, 20, 25% maybe, yeah. which, is, which is incredible. So how do you think about that math and how do you think that that will play out over the next couple of years? I think that usually it's market education with regards to actual costs of processing, which most people are not aware of. Like if you're buying shoes on Amazon, you're still paying, you know, anything between 2 and 5% is paid to the credit card companies. People are just not aware of that. But people don't use Amazon to buy euros if they're in the US. That's true. Right, so true. It's, I think it's a, it's a slightly different mental mindset, right? So it's easy for the shoe manufacturer to build yeah. the cost of payment into the shoe, yeah. or the middleman at least, into the I shoe. I think that, I mean, the friction is in buying Bitcoin is still so high that yeah. I think it's only an addition. Like, you need to open a wallet, you need to find a place, you need to decide between the the bazillion number of cryptocurrencies around there, like which one are you going to trust if you're a noob? Right. And you don't necessarily understand. I mean, well, statistics said that you do understand usually that you need to buy Bitcoin. But if you don't, then how do you buy? Where do you buy? What's the exchange rate that yeah. you accept as the quote? And then on top of that, just the additional percentage for the payment, I think it's, you know. Now, what do you think you're mostly competing with? Do you think that it's like local Bitcoins or do you think that it's just people using an exchange slash order book? What are you replacing in, in, in the minds of most of the people who end up using Simplex? I don't think we're replacing anything. That's why I think it's, the, I mean, the, the biggest challenge is also when, you know, when I'm pitching to a, an exchange, it's not to substitute some other service. It's basically you need to approach retail and you should stop I mean, it was the, the, the worst year was naturally 2018 when everybody kind of, you know, clenched and say, okay, we're only serving institutional. And I, I had to fight, you know, with every exchange telling them you have to serve 
retail users, otherwise the ecosystem won't grow. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, you know, it's just a snake biting its tail. It's you selling me Ether, selling him Ripple, selling me Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. That, that way the ecosystem doesn't grow. Yep, yep. All right, let's, uh, it's kind of a boring and annoying topic for some, but I think it's really important to understand in the context of this ecosystem. So let's take a step back. I want to understand how you guys think about compliance and given that you operate in pretty much every non-sanctioned country in the mm-hmm. world, I mean, compliance and, and, and dealing with regulators all over the place has got yep. to be an enormous undertaking. I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, you get probably inquiries from U.S. states, you get inquiries from other governments, and, you know, at the same time, you've got to, like, make everybody happy. So, yeah. so how, do you, how do you deal with that? So I think it's, it's mostly the way you look at regulation. And, you know, it's, it's very much unlike the, the way Koreans look at regulation, for example. Like, I, I heard this from one of our investors in Korea. He told me that the way they look at something, that if it's not allowed, you don't do it. We look at it, you know, if it's not forbidden, then we do it. So that, that's one very important notion. But we're, we're very strict when it comes to uh, what we decided as a policy. For example, there are a few exchanges who still enable you to make deposits without KYC. We don't allow any transaction without KYC. And I think that, you know, in general, we try to look at the regulator as someone who's not trying to, you know, stick a, a, a branch in our wheels or something. It's it's more of something that we're looking to cooperate with them and work with them. And I think, it, you know, it worked pretty well so far. It was one of the guiding decisions to to be a non-crypto crypto company. The fact that we don't touch crypto, we don't hold crypto, we don't transact in crypto is uh, an enormous help because there are at least regulation in place. Yep. Yep. And how much of the team is actually focused on this topic versus, you know, growing the business and dealing with new products and... Most of the team is revolving around the fraud mitigation system. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say the the regulatory side, compliance, and all that is less than ten percent. Okay. Okay. And the the risk side is you know sixty percent or so. Yeah. And and is it like okay at the beginning? we were able to squeeze a huge amount of fraud out of the system versus others, and now it's like we're dealing with the long tail of fraud? No, not at all. It keeps changing all the time. There are new attack vectors on a daily basis. It's the the system never sleeps. Yeah, and you're dealing with all this dark web kind of, I stole stole credit card numbers kind of crap. I I have a slide in my deck, which is a screenshot that we took from from one of the uh, Carter's forum on the dark web uh-huh. that one of the guys say, okay, I, I have 10,000 credit cards with identities and everything. Where do I go and buy Bitcoin? So someone tells him, go to the Simplex website, check their partners page and go someplace else. Wow. <laughs> right. And and so, I mean, given that it's it's not really like a mathematical thing, right? I mean, there's no formula for how the dark web works, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's a lot of brute force issues right and and yeah but i i think that you know we think like hackers we keep on researching new attack vectors seeing how i mean i think that everybody in the company are paranoids but you know there's a quote that the fact that you're paranoid doesn't mean that nobody's chasing you right so <laughs> i mean I, I don't think we 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 were victims of any successful attack and we got shit on of, of, you know, spear phishing on especially the founders and the executive teams, like all the time. Yeah. I hadn't thought of this before, but I mean, I'm sure you have. I mean, culturally, 
Israel seems like a unique, potentially uniquely qualified place to have a company like Simplex, just yeah, given absolutely. the cultural issues that absolutely. you deal with around security and and the whole kind of mentality of, yeah, of absolutely. the I history had the, of the country. Right? A few years ago when we were raising funds, I had discussions with a few big VCs in the Valley and the, their second question was, okay, when are you moving to the States? And my answer was never. Israel is the best place to have something which is the nexus of technology, fraud mitigation and payments. These are, you know, ecosystems which thrive in Israel. Yeah. And why do you think that the mentality is so much better for doing this in, in, in Israel versus even potentially in the US or the UK or uh, Germany, for example? First of all, you know, U.S. is a big place, you know. <laughs> Maybe ask if, you know, in Israel or Silicon Valley. Sure. Okay, Silicon Valley or New York, but, you, you know, you get the point. I think, you know, I, I think Israel is getting a good run for our money, for the money when it comes to Silicon Valley. I think that Israelis are a bit more hack, hackerish, mm-hmm. so to speak. We, we always try to find a way to make something work. That's why I think, you know, financial... Uh, uh, fintech or even more specifically payment industry in Israel is very strong because we always think of a way which is not illegal to do stuff. Gotcha. And you were a tank commander, did I understand yeah. you correctly? <laughs> wow. There's a mandatory military service in sure. Israel, so yeah I, was, yeah, I was a tank commander. What does that actually mean? What are you actually doing as a tank commander? I was in the tank, so it's a <laughs> that's like a complete diversion of the conversation. Yeah, that's okay. So that's uh, a segue from I Israel. started. I started in flight course. I was horrible in flying. <laughs> uh, I got kicked out. Uh, joined the armored forces. You go through the whole thing like you start as a. So they said, "Let's keep this guy in the ground." No, I, I was just too big to fit inside oh. <laughs> inside the tank. So <laughs> they can, they let you be a tank commander where you're half out. Right, 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 right. Yeah, but they're kind of the first ones to go, though, yeah, right? Yes, very <laughs> much. You're supposed to put the dog tickets in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad it all worked out in the end. So, yeah, and, uh, can't complain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and, and, and um, just coming back to, uh, to Simplex then. So, so you guys have also raised a fair amount of venture capital, I think. Um, Overall, up until now, we raised only $18 million. Okay. Which is not so much for, you know, one of the more veteran companies in this ecosystem. We've been around for over five years. Yeah. We're serving, uh, you know, we're, we're partnered up with on the exchange side. It's uh, Binance, OKX, Hobby, DigiPhoenix, uh, Liquid. Uh, I don't remember all the names. And, you know, on the, on the wallet side, it's Abra Naturally, uh, Zappo, MyEtherWallet, MyCrypto. Wow. Pretty much everyone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and still expanding. It's fantastic. And what are you most excited about in terms of what's coming next for the company? So I think that the, the sell side is extremely interesting. I think that, you know, uh, up until now we were supporting only getting in. And I think that one of the issues in getting into crypto is knowing how you get out. So right. as a noob, maybe I'll be more, uh, I'll feel more comfortable buying if I know I can sell the day later and get the money back. So that's one very exciting thing. And the other one is the Simplex account, which I mentioned earlier. I think it will open up exchanges and wallets much more because they wouldn't... Right now, almost every crypto company is uncertain with regards to regulation because there's no regulation in place for most of the crypto businesses. And once we take care of the fiat side, which is extremely regulated, but will be under our regulatory umbrella, you can operate in crypto land without touching fiat at any point, and you can do whatever 
is legal and right and correct and comply with you know self-compliance yeah but still you don't need to bother with all the crap that fiat brings with it very interesting and how many countries would support the idea of um, enabling let's call it a card-based withdrawal pretty much everywhere mm-hmm. uh, again except the restricted companies uh, restricted uh, countries yeah right now as it's being launched it's without the US to start with but then it's going to expand to US as well gotcha so speaking of the US I mean one of the issues that everyone faces and this isn't unique to simplex is that certain banks uh, block uh, crypto transactions on cards they issue um, is that a moving target is it kind of stabilized is it even getting is it getting worse is it getting better? It's not always correct and it's usually only for the credit cards, not the debit cards. So debit cards weren't harmed. I think it's, it's kind of a legal debate in the upper levels in the bank because it was the, there's a precedent that uh, the, the court in the US decided that spending your money is a form of exercising your freedom of speech. So they can't really block you from buying anything which is not illegal by using your debit card because that's the money in your account. With a credit, they can claim that they're providing you credit, hence it's not your money. Interesting. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, so, if you so want to, to take clear, them to court, it's going right. to be So to be clear, though, if I, I know Chase, for example. I have a Chase card, and um, I, I, can't, I use my Capital One instead because that works. It's, like you said, it's a debit card. So you're saying that if I use my Chase debit card, I don't have one, but if I did, it, yeah. it, it would work. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Debit cards are not blocked. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, look, I, I could go on for hours about the on-ramps and off-ramps <laughs> for crypto. I think it's a fascinating conversation. I think Absolutely. you built an awesome business. I think you found a, a real need in the market, and I think you guys have built some significant efficiencies into what should be a very inefficient market. So, uh, so kudos for that. And thank you. Thank on you. behalf of the Bitcoin ecosystem, we're we're really glad that you guys are out there and you're solving this problem. And you know, we're really excited to see what comes next. Uh, with, with Simplex, so keep awesome. up the keep up the great work. Will do. Yeah. Thanks so uh, yeah, my pleasure. Let's let's do it again in, in 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 a year or so and see how the business is doing and compare notes and and um, you know we're all kind of building this ecosystem for Bitcoin together and uh, we've all got our roles to play. So thanks for joining, listening in, Abra's Money 3.0, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Abra, visit abra.com and stay tuned for more episodes to come from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen. This episode featured music by Alex Barroza.